Hello, my friends, and welcome again to the Bible Lab, the podcast where we explore major themes from every book of the Bible in order to see how each page points us to Jesus, who he is, and what he's done. I'm your host, Andy Wood. Thank you for joining me, friends. We have wrapped up our series on the book of Joshua, but before we leave Joshua behind and move on to the book of Judges, we want to stop and talk about some lessons and applications from the book of Joshua. Three reminders before we jump into this. Four, actually. First, I'm getting these application points from the Student Reformation Study Bible. So it's a great resource. I use it in my classroom. It's really wonderful. So if you are uh, a parent of teenage children, it's a great study Bible for you to get. Uh, really accessible, answers a lot of questions that my students always seem to have in particular texts. So highly encourage you guys to check that out. The other th- sort of three bundled together things to remind you of are our three words, purpose, pace, and progression. The first thing that we want to think about with regards to change is the purpose of Scripture. All of Scripture is given to us by God, and like all things, it's done for God's glory. But why is change in God's glory, how does that connect? So I want to read to you Romans 8.29. Romans 8.29 says, For those whom he, the Father, foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So God elected, chose us. And he not only chose us, he not only saved us, but before the foundation of the earth, he predestined that we, me and you, would be made like his son, Jesus. Not physically, we're not all going to look like 33-year-old you know, Galilean carpenters, but emotionally and relationally and spiritually and character-wise, morally speaking, we're going to be made like Jesus in order that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. This act of transformation, the purpose of Scripture, it happens so the Father can be glorified by this miraculous transformation. Only God can change sinners like me and you into the image of his Son. And as you've heard that old saying, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, the Father can think of no greater way of honoring his Son than filling up the new creation with people who are just like him. That everywhere the Father turns his gaze, for lack of a better expression, There's the image of his son being reflected back to him from all of us. So we want to be a part of glorifying the Father. And that doesn't wait until after we're dead. That's what sanctification is about. Becoming more like Jesus to the glory of the Father, to the glory of the Son, and by the power of the Spirit. So that's purpose. The second P word that I like to remind you of is pace. Real, lasting change is slow, gradual. It takes a long time. In 2 Corinthians 3, 18, Paul says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. No, I would say as an aside, we behold the glory of the Lord primarily in the Scripture. So looking at the Bible, we are being transformed into the same image. There's that sanctification idea, transformation from one degree of glory to another, little by little, inch by inch. And I would also add one thing at a time. You can't change every area of your life all at once, little by little, one thing at a time. By the power of the Spirit, pursue change. The goal, if you're at a 2, for example, on a scale of 1 to 10 in prayer, the goal is not go from a 2 to a 10. The goal is to go from a 2 to a 2.1. And third, progression. The road to hell, the old saying says, is paved with good intentions. We've all had good intentions to change this, stop that, start doing this. And those good intentions fade. And they fade because we focus on the thing and we lose sight of the reason. 
So what we want to do when we read through the Bible is we want to ask God to show us timeless truths, timeless truths about himself, his holiness, his faithfulness, his power, his goodness, his justice, his mercy. And then from that, draw a universal implication, something that would have been the implication, the truth that would have been real and accessible for an Israelite reading the Old Testament thousands of years ago and for us today. And from that timeless truth and from that universal implication, that's where we get our individual application. So whenever our motivation starts to falter and we start to think, eh, maybe it's not worth it, we can remember, no, God is holy. He's called me to be holy. He's done everything necessary for my holiness. I can do fill in the blank. So purpose, pace, and progression. So we'll stick to those top two levels, and I'll leave it between you and Jesus for how you're going to apply the book of Joshua in your life. So without any further ado, let's look at some lessons from the book of Joshua. Number one, God is the star of the story, and humans are supporting characters. Friends, Moses is awesome, but Moses is dead, and Yahweh is alive. Joshua 1, 1 through 2, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan. You, it's like, wait, don't you want to have, we're just going to move on? And in one sense, yes, we're just going to move on because Yahweh carries on his plan by raising up new leaders for his people. It's not about the pastor. It's not about that youth group leader that you love so much. It's about God. And they are only useful in as much as they point you to God who will never die. He is the eternal one. And guess what? Joshua's dead too. So is David, and so is Solomon, and all of these are just pointers, just previews of the greater Joshua, the greater Moses, the greater David, Jesus, who also will never die. Second, God redeems the most unlikely people by his grace. In Joshua chapter 2, we get the story of Rahab, who is not only a Canaanite, but a Canaanite prostitute. You can just hardly imagine a person who, on paper, would seem a less likely candidate for entrance into God's people, but she believes in God and is therefore justified by her faith. A mirror image of Rahab is Achan. Achan is from the tribe of Judah, but because Achan sins, he is destroyed. He is not given special treatment. God welcomes all who will come to him in repentance and faith, and he will cast aside all who presume upon his goodness and don't take seriously the holiness of God. No one is beyond his ability to save, and no one doesn't need to be saved. Third, setting up memorials to God's grace. As we see the people of Israel stacking up stones in the Jordan, and as they move through the land of Canaan, setting up these memorials to God's grace serves to remind us of God's goodness. Every time you see that, you're like, oh, that's the time the Lord did such and such. And it also gives us opportunities to teach the next generation. Joshua 4, 4 through 7, Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off from before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And friends, I would encourage you, I would encourage myself as the father of young children to incorporate regular times of remembrance in your family. 
not only because you need it, but because your children need to start to learn mom and dad trust in God and God always comes through. Fourth, Christ is the captain we follow. There's a great story in Joshua chapter 5 where Joshua sees the angel of the Lord and theologians differ on whether or not the angel of the Lord should be seen as a sort of pre-incarnate Christ or whether it's an angel and, and not part of the Trinity and whether or not this angel is Jesus, the principle remains the same. We follow Jesus. I want to read to you Joshua 5, 13 through 15. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. A behold, a man was standing before him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord, and I have come. In other words, Joshua asked him, Are you on our side or are you on their side? And the angel of the Lord corrects Joshua and says, uh, Wrong question. Are you on my side? Christ is the captain we follow. Fifth, the consequences for our sin will be severe and will affect other people. When Achan sins, because of his sin, 36 men die in the next battle. And because he leads his family into sin, they die with Achan. The wages of sin is death. And because God made us in relationship to one another, our sins are never private affairs. There is no such thing as a sin that only affects you. Your sins affect your parents, your friends, your neighbors, your fellow church members, the people you work with, your immediate family, your distant family. Your sin impacts people in this ever-expanding ripple. Sin is awful. Flee from it. Sixth, God can do the impossible. Joshua 10, 12 through 14. At that time, that time being the battle with the several of the kings of the land of Canaan, at that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, sun stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. That is impossible apart from the power of God. But that God is the God we serve, and he has not changed. He still has all the power he needs to accomplish his will. As Paul reminds us in Ephesians 3.20, Now to him, blessing God here. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Friends, pray big prayers. No matter how big you pray, God is able to do far more than you can imagine. And following that, because of what we just said about God's power, we should pray boldly to God. Ask for the nations, ask for miracles, ask for healing, ask for the salvation of that family member who has rejected the gospel for 60 years. Pray bold, audacious prayers. Give God no rest until he brings in the kingdom. Eighth, we should count the ways the Lord has delivered and blessed us. Joshua 12, 1 through 7. Now these are the kings of the land whom the people of Israel defeated and took possession of their land beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And then we then get this whole list of, of kings. And again, similar to our theme of remembering, don't just thank God, Lord, thank you for all that you've done for me. I mean, like that's that's a wonderful sentiment, but take the time to stop and think about all that God has done for you. Count your blessings, count them one by one, as the old song says. A habit that I would commend to you 
in my daily prayer, before I get to the section of my prayer time where I'm going to ask God for things for myself, for my family, for my church, for the world, I name five individual things that I'm grateful for from the day before. Right? It could be nice weather to play out in the backyard with my boys. It could be, oh, this missionary we support just let us know that so-and-so trusted in Christ. It can be a promotion at work. It can be God sustaining us. We went through a really hard time. I mean, just whatever it is, daily make the habit of stopping and listing things that God has given you and saying, thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Count the ways the Lord has blessed you. Ninth, all believers share in the possession of the eternal inheritance purchased by Christ. And this is the point of the distribution stories. You know, such and such a tribe gets this land and this tribe gets this land given to us in the back half of the book. Because Israel got the land and that's wonderful. But we get the universe, which is, dare I say it, more wonderful. Tenth, we should praise God for his grace and covenant faithfulness. Remember, just like Israel was given the land by God's grace alone, our inheritance is by grace alone. As Joshua says in Joshua 24, 14 and 15, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Friends, we're going to falter. We're going to wake up every day and hopefully make this commitment. And every day we're going to drift. Every day we're going to fall short. And what an encouragement it is to know that we serve a God who does not drift, falter, or fall short. And our salvation is not based on our commitment, it's based on his commitment to us as expressed in his son Jesus, living a perfect life, dying our death on the cross, and rising in victory from the dead. That's why we can sing God's praises. We'll be doing that for all of eternity, so let's get started now. So friends, the next time we come back together, Lord willing, we're going to begin an examination of the book of Judges. But for now, take up and read. God bless. 